banks can even get benefits out of these third-party products that the fintech are now able to build because the bank APIs were available. Those internationalization of operations actually also driving the industry players in the US to adopt the APIs developments as well, regardless of regulatory framework. What was interesting there is it was the banks and the fintech first of all saying, what do we want to build because we know customers want it. Welcome back to the API Resilience Podcast. This is uh, Christoph von Tommer from uh, Pronovix and... I'm Mark Winbury from Pronovix. And today we've got two very special guests. We've got Fuang uh, Pham and Mark Boyd from Platformable. So hi, Mark. Can you introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. Good to be with you and thanks for the invite today. You're here. I'm looking after a friend's dog in the background and she's asleep on my feet. So you may hear her <laughs> snore in the background. <laughs> Which is cute. So... Uh, yeah, so I'm Mark Boyd. I'm, I run Platformable. We're a data and analyst-based startup based in Europe, but working globally. We look at measuring the impact of ecosystems and especially how APIs are being used. And we, and we look at how they generate value for, through participation. So, you know, our take on things is very much that APIs enable businesses and governments to partner with a whole range of different players and that everyone should be able to generate the value that they need out of that so out of those relationships and we prove that you know APIs are creating that kind of value. Very cool. Fung? Hi, thanks Christoph. So I'm Fung Pham. I'm an open banking industry analyst at Platformable and I think it's a very exciting uh, sector to 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 follow and happy to be here to chat with you about API banking, uh, API, particular API for open banking. Very cool. And I think to give a short introduction, like Mark, Mark, well, and I'm not talking to Mark Winberry. <laughs> so Mark, we, we were having this call with Mark Boyd, and it was just this really fascinating story that Platformable brings about actually measuring the value that you're creating with APIs. Because I think that uh, with API Resilience Podcast, we're trying to bring stories about value and like the future value of APIs and why companies should keep on investing in their API programs. So like what better way of proving that an API is valuable than by measuring the value? So I thought that was really fascinating to, to get you on board to, to tell that story. Yeah, absolutely, Christoph. Um, I just want to echo that you know, we've seen a lot of people with their API programs who first put out an API through a gateway and they have some monetization strategy. I think you call it spray and pray, Christoph. We've seen a lot of those. And definitely right now in uh, the people looking at the financial crisis brought on by the coronavirus, uh, people are really, uh, we see a lot of people buckling down, we, but we've seen some really interesting cases where people aren't buckling down. And part of uh, what we want to do is bring encouraging stories around that now is a really good time to prepare for the future, to build value, add in operational efficiencies. And the conversation that you and I had with Mark Boyd about this um, a couple of weeks ago, I guess it was now, was really interesting. We said, hey, we should definitely get Mark on the podcast. And so with that, Mark, can you start telling some of the stories that we've been talking about? I'll, I'll share you, the way you two are talking about it now makes me think of one of my favorite examples that I like to share, and that's a European fintech app called Cake. 
And so they started because because in Europe now there is the open banking standard uh, regulations, which Fong will describe, I'm sure. But the but with the Cake app, then what happens is that person can connect their banking records to the app, and so then the app is going to give you the suggestions about how to better save your money because, you know, we've noticed that you've spent, you know, this much on gym and fitness over the last month. But did you know that this other gym has got a deal going? So, you know, if you move to that one, you'll save some money during the month. Or if you looked at your insurance, you could move it to this one and it will be cheaper for you and the same coverage or whatever. So the app does that sort of thing. So for the end customer, you've got that immediate savings benefit. But what cake does that's really interesting is that then they also sell that data as a as a as an aggregated data set that's anonymized so your personal information isn't included but you know you're one of the 35 to 40 year old customers who have been shopping in this area you know so that data is then sold to people uh, to other companies and cake shares the data revenue back with you. So in an average month, you might get five euros back because Cake has been able to mine your banking account records and then share that in an anonymized form with their data customers. And then everyone wins because the banks, uh, because the businesses that they sell it to are then able to better understand what their consumers are looking for and are spending on. So they're able to organize deals that attract those sorts of consumers better and then people are putting those are going into those stores and how are they paying through point of sale which then is being operated by the banks so the banks are increasing their revenue processing fees because of the amount of um, uh, transactions that are being processed so there's this sort of loop uh, and there's uh, it's like a hundred stories like that at the moment of how banks uh, how, of how apis are creating value for everyone in the in the state in the um sort of ecosystem all through apis i think what's interesting to me about that mark is something that i've been thinking about which is that Sometimes the API is not the goal. The data that you are able to get insights from the APIs are actually where a lot of the value is for an organization. So uh, if we think about what APIs bring, there's all sorts of operational efficiencies. In the case of banking, I know that we're going to talk about some of the regulations that introduce some of this stuff, but you're actually talking about value creation because the API is there as a data source. Yeah, I mean, I think, because I think that API is just the the means by which we can communicate more effectively and collaborate more effectively. And I'm really excited by the fact, Mark, that you and Christoph have named this podcast series API Resilience, because, you know, like at the moment with COVID, with changing sort of national, international priorities, with climate, the climate crisis, but there's a whole need for, us to do a lot more with productivity as far as increasing what we can do with using less resources, but also in being able to do things remotely, just in time when we're needed at any time of the day or night from wherever we might be located, excuse me. So because of those things, then APIs are going to help enable all of that new environment to be able to operate. And for us, and what I really like, again, about the API resilience message and what I love about APIs, I guess, is that 
it really feeds into this idea that we, you cannot do it alone. A business cannot go alone anymore. And this, you know, we see the whole winner takes all sort of approach of like Amazon or whatever, but they haven't really gone it alone. They needed all of the businesses to be in their marketplace for their marketplaces to work. You know, they needed all of their, they need a whole range of different businesses using Amazon Web Services in order to, for them to be able to build and learn how to mature the serverless market. You know, like, so there's, so no one's going it alone. And, and what APIs do is they allow any business to then work in partnership with a whole range of um, new stakeholders to be able to create that sort of shared value and solutions for everyone. So, yeah, so the APIs, it's like, that's the means of doing that. You know, I've been able to do that. So, but but there's also other stories, right, Fuang? Because you've been doing research on regulation as a driver for not going it alone. Um, because I think that's that's what's been happening in Europe, but not just in Europe. That's that's correct. Yes, I think Christoph, you were referring to the uh, the regulations for open banking in Europe. The PSD2 was the foundation for European banks to adopt the APIs, and in Europe and particularly in the UK, it is crucial, regulations is crucial for, for, for the development of banking APIs. For the reason is that um, in the UK, there are small numbers of, a small number of banks that taking over the whole markets. So the banks, I mean, they're, they're understandably, they are reluctant to um, share the data of uh, customer data that, that they have because they fear of competition, of course, and that's understandable. But at the end of the day, most banks would need to go beyond compliance to, to stay in the game because um, my background is in equity research following the actually the European bank sector for seven, eight years. And the shareholders, I mean, their interest is in the bank's profitability. And that comes in the forms of revenues and cost savings. Now, in terms of revenues, it has to do a lot with gaining more clients or just keeping the current clients happy. And that comes again, in turn, in the form of having continuous new product innovations that keep clients happy and the api's products are, are crucial in the sense that it you understand your customers if you have an api structure as a bank together with the data that you have of your banks as well as of everyone else you have a significant knowledge of what you could potentially build as a new products for for your customers and that would bring a new source of revenues for you now regulations from the, the experience that we, we see around the world, regulations is not, does not necessarily be an enabler, depending on the market. Of course, in Europe and in the UK, it's important because in the incumbents, the incumbent banks, they, they, uh, they are reluctant to, to go with the flow uh, at the how, beginning. How about but, the U US form? But, but uh, yes, I'm, I'm getting into it that right now. It's in the US, it's a different story because in the US, there are more number of banks, so it's more segmented, uh, fragmented, sorry. The market is, is the, the financial services sector is more fragmented. There are more number of banks competing for clients. So the market works based on the actual needs of the customers. It has always been the case. So in the US, there's 
currently no regulations enabling open banking. However, there has been some industrial efforts. So financial data exchange is one example. It's basically a non-profit organization that brings banks and the fintechs together, working together based on their own experience operating all around the world in their knowledge, their, their best practice in terms of knowledge of clients, having data uh, and how to best use data together to build up an API standards to be implemented in the US. So it's purely industrial efforts. So no, no, uh, they, they self-funded. So they are not um, dependent on changes in governments or budgetary uh, planning, government budgetary planning. And, and Yes. And what is what is the main reason why companies do that then? Like, what is the value that they, like, there's this value of, you know, we have to keep up. But it, it feels very similar. I, I saw this study quite a while ago, which was about, you know, productivity. There was this controversy that productivity used to rise all the time. And then at some point, productivity started plateauing. Even though that we keep adding more and more technology, we're not necessarily getting more efficient. And there was this big paradox. It's like, what's going on? Like, why, why is productivity stopped rising? And so like, and is, are APIs, are they actually increasing productivity or are they just creating, you know, are they just, or are we just like the Mad Queen in Alice in Wonderland? We're all like running really, really hard in the same spot. <laughs> is, is, is that what's going on here? Or, or do you think that there really is value in doing APIs? I think there's a risk of that. I think there is a risk of like, I feel like that was almost a risk, a greater risk a couple of years ago. I mean, APIs are, will introduce some complexity. They're meant to actually reduce complexity, but, you know, the whole introduction of the i mean there's complexity in the sense of like when you're first getting them on board then everyone's got to learn best practices and you're devoting some team time to the best way to do that and you've got to figure all of that so there's some of that sort of onboarding complexity if you like but then a, a few years ago we had this situation in the api sector more generally where a business would introduce an api for a specific use case and they did see benefits you know, like maybe it generated a particular amount of revenue. Maybe it helped them onboard some partners faster or some suppliers faster or something like that. The issue, so they were like, oh, great, this has worked. This has got, got some value. Let's do APIs on everything. And so they sort of then ran around doing APIs for any, and you see this within governments quite a lot. So, so you know, like um, quite a, a normal starting point will be weather APIs, for example. So the, because there's sort of needs to be able to make sure that weather data, which is, which is government collected from their weather stations and that their infrastructure is then made available so that in a whole range of different use cases from, you know, traffic management to emergency response for extreme weather events to tourist apps, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So you put it out by API to make that available and then another department will say oh you know like that's that seems to work let's do that for our training and skill shortages data so they start building one there and then it keeps going you know until then you get something where an emergency <laughs> response department says oh let's build an extreme weather api and so they start doing one that's 
very similar to some of the data fields that are, were available in the weather API or, or transport starts building something, but it's included stuff that's also in the weather API. And so then you've suddenly got this mishmash of all these APIs that you've got to maintain. So they're costing resources. They're, you know, they're not really well thought out as far as what data they're pulling or what services they're exposing. So you sort of then have this spaghetti map of complexity, which is what you were trying to avoid when you were first introducing APIs. So I think there is, you know, there is that risk of doing that. And I think, and this comes back to that point that Mark was making about APIs can't be the solution in and of themselves. Like, so so the idea is like, you've got to do the work. And I think, Fuong, you were saying this from the work you uh, with the uh, research you did into financial data exchange. So what was interesting there is it was the banks and the fintech, first of all, saying, what do we want to build? Because we know customers want it, you know, and then once we know what they want to build, then we can work together to have an API standard so that we are all talking together and can connect our systems so that we can provide that end benefit to the customer. I would like to to add uh, just just a follow up on what Mark has been saying. I I mean the like Mark said the amount of data it's it's very valuable the amount of of data i.e. understanding of the customers needs consumers needs it's it's very valuable, and the APIs is 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 a tool to actually utilizing or understanding this data, uh, analyzing this data much more efficient, um, much more efficiently, you know, for all businesses um, that's serving uh, end consumers. It's crucial for them to understand, be, be it a bank or be it a restaurant owner or, you know, a food company. They all need to understand what the customers need to provide. And, um, and I think with API, it helps a lot with the the procedure of understanding that needs. Just an example, say if as a bank you want to to get, wanting to to lend a customer, and instead of having to go through all the paperwork like pay slips, last three months, or or credit records that you have to maybe outsource to another third party to to analyze the the prospects uh, clients. Um, credit scores you could actually look at with the api you can just easily pull out all the transactions that they've been dealing with and and there you go within a um, a matter of minutes you can instantly analyze if they actually are reliable to lend to that's a really good example that's what so there's a group in in europe and uk called friendly score and so that's what they as a fintech that's what they do so they offer a sort of they're trying to disrupt credit scoring which as you say for long like it's you know you've it's your last three pay slips and you know all of this last year's tax returns blah 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 it's it's got a one month lag built into the credit scoring and it doesn't tell you what you need to know to know whether or not who you want to lend to is a valid you know is a is a um sort of low credit risk you know so so what friendly score do is that again with the bank customers consent you're able to approve that you want the api connected from your bank account information into friendly score and then they do a they can do an on the spot analysis and be able to identify whether or not you know your propensity to be able to pay back a loan 
that sort of thing. And in the time of COVID, that's been really crucial. The, the, the weirdest thing is it's crucial for banks. So in some countries in Europe, banks regulated to have to offer to their customers the right to hold off on your loan repayments. So people were taking it, people were saying, great, I'll have that since, I'm, since that's accessible to me, I'll do that. Even though I'm still working, I'm just working from home now. So then banks are seeing some of their customers who are then holding off going to repay their loans and who are then putting aside that, you know, 400, 600 that they would use on their loans. And they're not giving it to the bank to repay the loan because they've got like the six-month holiday or whatever. But the issue is that the banks are then worried that the customer will get into a mindset of not having to pay back those loans regularly. So they're worried about that. So the this, this sort of credit scoring product by this third party, Friendly Score, that can be used by banks to be able to identify those sorts of customers and to be able to offer them, maybe maybe they offer them a lower or faster loan repayment or some other sort of incentive to get them to not take that holiday right now and instead to like the, the loan holiday and not take that loan holiday right now, but then maybe they can um, recalculate the loan given you know, that they're able to pay it off faster or more easily. So, you know, banks can even get benefits out of these third-party products that the fintech are now able to build because the bank APIs were available. Yeah, in Belgium, it's even obligatory to stop paying your old loans before you can get additional credit to to bridge things. So it's, it's, it's crazy, <laughs> the stuff you can see. So how, like the thing that I'm, you, you know the the hype cycle, the Gartner hype cycle, like how technologies first, uh, there's like, oh, this is going to change everything and it's going to be fantastic. And then there's the valley of despair when when people are like, oh, no, this is really not working and it's this is bad. Like, I, I'd like to find out beyond the things that we're thinking that it's actually going to provide value. Like, do you, th- because I think this is what Platformable is doing is like providing an actual model to give real estimates of the value of an API, an API program. Could you tell a little bit more about that, Mark? Sure. So then we look at things. So we sort of go, we take a step back. And first of all, we look at the API ecosystem or the platform ecosystem. So we sort of say, okay, something like open banking, who is meant to benefit? So we started by looking at the regulations. So Fuong worked with us as far as identifying what all of the goals were, and we sort of grouped them into different categories. So, I mean, you know, there's in Europe, one of the goals is interoperability. So you should be able to use your bank account wherever you are in Europe, for example, as part of the digital single market. Other areas like Indonesia have financial inclusion as being part of the open banking regulation goals. But like all of them have some sort of, you know, like the, we, what we generally found was that um, most of them are about increasing competition, the enabling financial inclusion or inv- enabling better consumer choice. And that, uh, yeah, well, they're the main two, you know, and that there's security and all of those sorts of things in the system. So w- once we knew sort of, okay, what's the goals of open banking overall? We then sort of thought through who, are, who should benefit from APIs then in open banking. So banks themselves should benefit because they should be able to introduce new business models and revenue opportunities for themselves. What I don't think banks really get yet about all of that is actually open banking regulations are going to turn around and have been a real saviour for them 
in another couple of years because banks are, are woefully unprepared for the fact that Amazon, Microsoft and Facebook and Apple are, t- are stealing their lunch. Like, they, you know, they are practically giving them their lunch at the moment. But, like, you know, there's, it's, it's, there's a future not very far away if, they, if we head off in one direction where banks are fully replaced by those tech giants, you know, and like, and it's only because of open banking that actually that's going to, that the banks can live to fight another day in that regard. But in any case, there's banks can open up new revenue models. So that gives them new opportunities. FinTech can enter markets so they can then start offering a broader range of financial services that banks had previously locked down. And we see that in things like TransferWise being able to offer seamless international payments there's a whole range of saving products uh, we've talked a little bit about cake and friendly score and there's plenty of others like that there's e-invoicing products all of the rest that have now able to enter the market that were previously locked out because banks or only banks had all of the um, financial service rights consumers because consumers should be able to then have greater choice and should also be able to build their wealth. So that's three stakeholders. A fourth stakeholder is the underserved. So those who are currently not able to open a bank account because they don't have the right documentation, who aren't able to get loans because they don't have a credit history, all of those people who have been previously locked out. So open banking should offer them new opportunities to build their financial wealth and enter the financial market. And then finally, API industry itself, because banks are large sort of customers of API services so and tools. So when you have banks involved, like we've seen with Capital One in the US or the Arkea Group in France, when banks are involved in the API sector, they contribute to open source. They help, they help, um, their, they, they help the API tooling sector to advance and mature their products faster because now those tools have to sort of be built for large, secure enterprises that work globally, you know. So that, so, there's, so we sort of see that there are those five groups and they should all get, you know, and I've described like a key benefit or a key value that each of them should receive out of the open banking system. So what we then do is go through and look at how are those values or other uh, and benefits for each of those stakeholders, are they being created by open banking today? And we've got similar models for other sorts of ecosystems like digital government and public health. But for open banking, and, and we're going to move into open finance, so beyond just banking, but services like Stripe that offer APIs and those sorts of things who, but, you know, their, their values and their benefits isn't tied to open banking. So we want to sort of look at, okay, what in, in their ecosystem, what benefits should they be getting out of it? But in any case, so yeah, so we've sort of got that model and then we work backwards to sort of see, okay, are there opportunities for banks, for example, in this model to be introducing new revenue models that is then helping them to create new revenue, I guess. So when you look at it, you see banks like Pamata in Indonesia and they were able to introduce APIs. They had to do it slowly at first and then through developing those APIs, they then worked with a crowdsourcing platform and a trading platform. And so both of those external service providers were able to be connected to the bank. And with the crowdfunding platform, then that meant that if you were going, if they, because their bank APIs were used for that crowdfunding platform, then 
people on that crowdfunding platform were, sh- were then exchanging money, but they were using the bank's payments APIs to do that. So the bank gets a transaction fee for, for that increased transaction volume that's going through, you know, which they were previously not part of getting. So, you know, so there's that gain for them. And then with the trading app benefits, that was actually for people who had previously not been involved in trading, who were perhaps underserved by, you know, the opportunities to sort of invest in local businesses. And so there, the benefit for the bank was that in order to do the trading, you need an account, you you need a bank account. So they suddenly saw millions of new bank accounts being created because of their banking APIs that we've been used by these new third-party providers. So, so you know, the story that the API team was able to take back to the Pomada Bank C-level team was that through the APIs, we've got this amount of growth in our accounts annually, and we've got this level of increased transaction volume, which we wouldn't have had apart from having the APIs. So it's, it's not purely a societal benefit that APIs are bringing. There's also clearly a very organizational benefit. I, I, really, I really liked the model that you had for like how value is created through APIs. Could you maybe tell a little bit about that? So then do you mean the enablers? Yes, the four enablers. Yeah, I think great. that's, that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. So, what, so what we say, okay, so you want all of these benefits from, you know, these are the stakeholders and these are the benefits each stakeholder should get from an open API ecosystem. But what we say is, or what we've identified through our research, is that you are unable to actually get to those benefits without having some en- enablers in place. And probably the most important enabler is high quality developer experience. So in order to get the APIs to, um, you know, for, so for Pomada Bank, for example, when they're working with um, that trading platform and when they're working with the crowdfunding platform, they need to have APIs where developers in those two partners partnerships can come to their website, look at the documentation, understand what the API does, get it up and running, get clear error messages so that they know what's gone wrong with it, you know, the, all of that sort of stuff. Um, you know, it'd be great if the developer portal has an area where they can even put their app to show what they've built so that, you know, to, as a sort of trust signal and as part of a co-marketing effort. You know, there's a whole range of different things, the documentation, everything. So the developer experience becomes one of the ways that there comes one of the channels by which the bank is able to then get the value that they were trying to get out of it. And then the other three enablers that are crucial as well is like regulation so having a system in place where that encourages businesses to talk to each other and use apis as contracts security so you know like one of the things that often stops a lot of stakeholders when they talk about apis internally is people like oh you can't do that because it's insecure you know like it's exposing all this data and yes it is exposing data but the apis are built in a way that it only exposes the data to those who have given who have got the right consent who have got the right access permissions you know all of that's baked into your api design and management but you do need to watch that and keep up with security best practices and then finally standards so uh, as Fuon was explaining you know in the us you've got a system where there aren't any regulations that's fine you need then the standards so that it's easier for banks and fintech to work together and actually be on the same page as far as what they're connecting, what they're talking about. 
You know, so we sort of see that those four enablers are, the, are behind the scenes what actually helps generate that value for each of the five stakeholders that we've got. So, yeah, so and then so what we do then as part of our platformable model is we're measuring this on a quarterly basis and we're looking at, at the moment with open banking, we're looking at, you know, like how how advanced are those four enablers? What's the differences in different countries as far as how those enablers are being developed? And then how closely are the five stakeholders to actually generating the value that's part, they're part of the sort of ecosystem opportunity for them? That's really interesting to me, Mark. I'm seeing that... Um... You know, as a consumer, I see how I benefit from that. But part of what is interesting to me about that story that you just told is how the banks are taking it, are able to benefit from opportunities that open up by putting their APIs out there that they actually didn't do anything to directly, they're an enabling technology. And so their banking infrastructure, their customer base becomes an, an enabling technology for other applications that are created, which in turn opens up new customers and uh, new revenue opportunities for them that they didn't even cultivate themselves. And I think that's pretty exciting. Part of what you talked about was the importance of you know standards and regulations in there. It makes me want to go back to uh, Fuong and ask about her opinion of the future of open banking and what she thinks is going to happen in the next, let's say, three to five years. What should banks be thinking about given that context? There are four key enablers of the open banking developments. While the three enablers I've been looking at um, more closely are regulations, standards, and securities. Now, regulations and securities generally come hand in hand. So you see, in term, you see that um, in various countries, like we're talking about Brazil, we're talking about South Korea, just a few of, of the examples that the open banking regulations is being implemented at the same time as the implementation or enforcement of consumer data, personal or consumer data rights uh, regulations. So I guess that um, we all understand the benefits of APIs and or at least the banking sector. And we, we also understand the risk that could potentially uh, come with it. Less risky than the way we used to do, but Nevertheless, there's still a certain level of risk and best practice in securities is, is still crucial. So what I'm trying to say is that in every single country, the movement is already rolling. No? The regulations seem to be on board. And even if there's no regulations, industrial players, stakeholders are working towards it. And now we're seeing open banking being, being implemented. But in the future, like Mark was saying, it's, it's going to be open finance. And in fact, in Australia and Brazil, the latest regulatory development has actually, uh, in Brazil, has already implemented well, to be, well, regulations been introduced and to be implemented over the next two years. And Brazil is targeting open finance. So it's not just open banking anymore, but not, not just credit cards, not just loans, but also customer information, but also insurance, also um, pension products. So it, it's all happening in Australia and in the UK, also looking at open finance 
and Australia is also looking at data sharing for energy sector, telecom and energy sector. So I think in the next three to five years, we probably see data sharing through APIs, not just in, in uh, it, uh, well, we, we would be seeing more cross-sector data sharing APIs. So it's, it's not just any sector, but but it's, uh, it's uh, well, in short, I think it's going to be to be wider used of, of APIs. Do you think that, uh, so in, in the U.S. in particular, uh, yep. there's a, a much more relaxed regulatory environment than what Europe has? And particularly, I think the larger and the older an institution is, the more conservative they tend to be. Do you think that they're seeing the benefits of what's happening in open banking in Europe? I think the operational environment of the U.S. is different because the U.S. is very much market-driven. So it's purely looking at uh, consumers' needs and commercialization of those consumer needs, no? So they... um, Although there's no regulations in place, all the stakeholders or businesses and fintechs, they understand uh, what is at stake. So they are very driven to keep innovating and providing the, 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 or meeting uh, customers' uh, evolving demands. So, um, so I think and another thing is many U.S. companies are actually multinational. And we're also talking about the banks themselves. So say JP Morgan, they are a member of financial data exchange in the U.S., but in the U.K., the U.K. is the headquarter for Europe. They are a partner of Berlin Group. So those internationalization of operations actually also driving the industry players in the U.S. to adopt the APIs developments as well, regardless of regulatory framework. I think also the, um, in the U.S. where I think one of the drivers will be the end customer. So in the U.S. you've got things like I think it's called Wikibuy. Um, no, not Wikibuy. It's called something along those lines. And it's a Chrome browser plugin that you can have that will tell you when you're on an e-commerce site, if there's a coupon available for it, if there's another website that's available that has the product for less or whatever. That is actually a, built using the Capital One Bank's APIs. It's actually a Capital... They've spun it off as an innovation product because they've got the APIs and they wanted to see what they could build with it. You know, and so customers are demanding that sort of thing. JP Morgan, Morgan's customers are, are demanding, you know, more digital tools and digital services that are available, which has driven JP Morgan's interest in opening APIs and partnering, partnering with a wider range of fintech as well. So, yeah, so sometimes the banks themselves, I, I still feel like globally the banks don't really realise the risk to their continued value, you know, and I think now with something like COVID, they're going to even think they're even more protected because people start acting more conservatively at times like right now. But I think, you know, there's some real risks, like I've said earlier, from the tech giants in particular coming for them. But, um, but yeah, but so, but, you know, like things like having to have a, a global infrastructure like Fuong was saying and then the customer demands will actually force their hand to 
be interested in, you know, in the sort of value that they can be created. Mark, you must be reading my mind from uh, all the way from Europe, as I sit here in the U.S., because I was just thinking about the points that you had made about the technology disruptors, the technology company as disruptors in the financial or uh, world, uh, which I think that should make you know the the fintech market kind of sit up and take notice. In our theme in this podcast of API resilience. I think you've laid out some great ideas about this. And one of the things I wanted to come back to just for to get you, I'm not sure if you, you'd want to comment on it or Fawn wants to comment or even Christoph is uh, part of what we see through APIs and part of the resilience that we see is the ability for companies to have this way of creating alliances and partnerships that help strengthen them and help them not go it alone. Can you comment on that or add any color to that? Yeah, I think like what we've seen with COVID, for example, is that, you know, supply chains involve a whole ton of different stakeholders. How are you going to, and how are you going to be able to manage those sorts of supply chains when there's urgent need for, you know, to be able to measure demand um, address issues, work with partners and all of that. You need, a, you're going to need APIs to be able to keep those value chains operating, you know, and the same with um, uh, in banking, we've seen that with the greater need for being remote and all of the rest. So the, so I feel like the, I feel like there is greater acknowledgement or there is emerging acknowledgement that we need to work in partnership. So, yeah, so I feel like there's the, like, you know, people recognizing that they can't, that they've only got a small insight into one area of their work and they need to have this sort of global insight. That's what was really great about this cake model of like um, revenue sharing on the data that's being sold. It's because like, you know, some of their clients that are willing to pay for that aggregated anonymized data are large chains of, you know, like retailers but who only are able to see one slice of their customer base's spending habits, you know? So even the large chains and all of that, they don't get to see this, you know, 360 view of like the markets in their entirety. So they're, they're then, that's why they're paying for that cake app. And what's great and reflects on what Fuong was saying about data sharing being where it's going in the next three to five years with all of this is what I would love to see is that open banking is teaching people how uh, teaching people the value of their own data and actually making it more about you having the data literacy to be able to negotiate and decide who to, who to share that data with and what value or what benefits you're going to get out of that exchange so you know like that you know and that comes down like um Fuong was saying to energy and telecoms as the natural next landscapes to be looking at this sort of thing. But my hope is that we will get more savvy around, you know, the value of our of our own personal data and uh, through these sort of, through the and the APIs are sort of helping to do that. And then the um and the businesses are able to actually work more in partnerships to be able to use that data as an enabler for all of us, you know, sort of thing. But yeah, that's, that's when I get into my utopian worldview. <laughs> <laughs> totally with you there. I think it's, it's always important, like, yes, there's that utopian part, but I think there's also really hard business value that's also here. 
And I think we'll need a combination of the two. We'll need both. We need immediate transactional value for businesses, for them to make the plunge. And we'll need societal benefit for society to say, yep, this is okay. Let's continue with this. And I'm, I'm really excited about seeing how all of how that dialogue between these two forms of value is going to evolve and, and adapt and change the landscape around us, hopefully for a better world. Yeah, We're probably at uh, the end of the podcast. Do you have any last um, sound bites that you would like to share? Uh, I think you summed it up nicely there. I think um, what I would take away from this for getting started is, you know, like try to have like, um, this is one thing we do with our, uh, both with our customers, but also what we put up in our knowledge base on our website, which is platformable.com, is being able to measure one or two of the values at the organizational level. So, you know, like try to make one of those revenue, you know, so like, you know, tr think through what's the sort of revenue implications of the API. So, you know, is it something like the Pomata model where you can talk about we're going to be increasing the transaction number of transactions being processed through our services and we get, you know, a percentage on all of those. So, you know, like I so said, there's those sorts of, it needn't be the direct we charge for a service and we get something back. It might be a percentage. It might be because you're going to be working with partners who bring in new accounts and that those new accounts uh, in whatever sector, you know, are then going to be become regular customers. It might be about like, you know, maybe even for some a SaaS product, if you've got a churn rate that, you know, means you lose a customer every, you know, six months or something like that. Maybe if you've got an API and you're integrated into the Slack marketplace or some other marketplace, you've increased your stickiness. So therefore people aren't going to stop subscribing to your service because they've integrated it via your API into other tools that they're using as well. You know, so try to look for some sort of revenue value that you can measure and then try to measure some sort of partnership sort of uh, metric as well. And then finally, I would, I would try to do what we've been talking a little bit about today as far as what's the benefit for the end user, what value is the API creating for your loyal, reliable customers, you know, that, that use your services each week, you know? So thinking about, you know, what do they get out of specifically the API, you know, experience? So, yeah, so I would sort of start with those three as far as like building up the, the stories you tell about how your APIs are being used. Fong, do you have a last quote or something you would like to share? Well, the only thing is um, I'm, I'm hopeful with these API developments. So um, I guess what like Mark have already uh, Mark has summed up quite quite well uh, what needs to be taken into account to really make it work. But I'm hopeful, and um, I think the API's uh, application is going to be uh, a new norm in uh, in the near future. And it's not just open banking, but uh, in uh, in other sectors as well. And actually, it's it's already happening. Like uh, just. An example popped up in my head probably to end this conversation is the Banca Inter in Brazil. It's a digital challenger, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's a challenger bank. And they've just recently moved into telecom. So they built up their own uh, telco platform and get their clients to sign up and basically uh, 
use their bank cards to top up the, the telephone bills. So it is already happening in some countries, some cases. So yes, I, I, it's a it's very exciting um, evolution to observe. Sen, for, for our listeners in the banking world, if you want to find out what's going to be like the way to value for the banking scene, basically they should go and check out the reports that you're putting out on platformable.com. That's correct? Sure, come along and uh, we've got a ton of free downloads and uh, regular content being produced. Very cool. Then uh, thank you very much for joining us and for taking the time to talk about uh, where you see value for APIs and how you see API resilience playing out. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. It was great to share this with you. Cheers. Cheers. All right. Thanks, Mark and Fong. Thank you for listening to the API Resilience Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts for our latest episodes. You can contact us at podcast at pronovix.com. And until next time, be well.